September 29th is the, is the effective date. I get the question all the time. So I'm just going to put it to rest now. Like when exa- what exactly does that mean in terms of time? So what it means is 1201 Eastern time, this rule goes into effect for everybody. So West coast can get it at nine, you know, central time, you know, gets it at, uh, you know, at 11 uh, here on the East coast, everybody's got to wait till 1201 uh, in order to get it done. So that way we have a good consistent time. That's when it starts. There's no voluntary compliance for this rule like there are for some. So keep that in mind that right now we operate under the old rule, September 29th, 1201 AM. We move forward, we go to the next, we go to the new. The voice you heard there was that of Joe DiLorenzo, director of the FNCSA's Office of Enforcement and Compliance. And it's no doubt one that you may be familiar with. Joe's been on a tour of the truckers' online shows and virtual seminars and so much more in advance of the hours of service rule taking effect in the wee hours between Monday and Tuesday this coming week. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of Overdrive Radio, we're going to dive into the specifics of the rule with DiLorenzo. Something of a recap of our GATS Week presentation a month ago with him. The talk centers on the rules... The particulars of just what constitutes off-duty time for an owner-operator, a variety of scenarios posed by those who were participating live in the discussion, and much more about the rule and the changes. Will roadside inspectors be ready? There's one advantage that we have here, and that is the ELD. Will ELD providers? With you guys, make sure they've got all the all their ducks in a row. Judging by my emails, I'd say they're all working pretty hard. Who among you will be the first to successfully log a break of at least two hours in not get penalized on the 14-hour window for the break. We want to hear from you about how you're using any of the new flexibilities inherent in the rule. Reach out to me directly through overdriveonline.com where you can find my email or dial into our podcast line at 530-408-6423 to leave a message. Be sure to state your name and base location with any message. The original presentation De Lorenzo gave was broadcast with a few slides, but it's pretty easy to follow along with if you have them. I put a download link for them in the uh, post that houses this podcast, uh, the September 25, 2020 story on my Channel 19 blog. That's overdriveonline.com slash channel 19. Before we get fully into De Lorenzo's presentation and his answers to a variety of questions, a quick note on the hours changes themselves. I asked him early on in our talk whether I was correct in reading the rule and the uh, notion that if an owner-operator just continued logging like he or she was doing so today and had no intent to use the new portions of the rule, nothing essentially would change for that owner-operator. That is, he or she would not be in violation given the nature of these changes, right? The old rule kind of gets wrapped up into this new one and really just gives you new new flexibilities. Like I mentioned earlier, with the 10 hour, with the 10 hours off, you can still take 10 hours off, that's fine. You know, you can still uh, manage your 30 minute break sooner or whatever the case may be. So in all the cases, uh, the current rules still work. Um, it just gives more flexibility for those drivers that want to use it. So let's get into the meat of the presentation. Here's how DeLorenzo started. There's these four changes that we've made to the hours of service rule, all of them focused on adding a little bit more flexibility to the driver's day, as well as being able to improve safety, because we really feel like it will do that. Those four, the short haul exception, the adverse driving conditions exception, 30 minute break requirement, and the sleeper birth provision. So moving on to the next slide, I think 
this is really important too, because I've been at Gats, I don't know how many years in a row. Um, and this is a lot of what we heard. We heard a lot from the trucking industry, from drivers and from a lot of other folks about what was needed and the current environment of trucking and transportation and the highway system in the United States in order to allow drivers to be safe and, and the most efficient as possible. So really worked hard, got a lot of comments to do that. And that's how we end up here. And I think we talked a lot about the participation that's needed. And this, this just shows an example of the amount of comments that we got. It's a process, it normally takes a while. I think we actually, I know it seemed long to a lot of you folks, but for those of us in the government, it actually went by pretty quick, a couple and a half years or so from the beginning of the end. Um, but really, worked through this process of gathering comments that shaped exactly what this rule is. The changes in themselves are not really that difficult to explain, but it's when we start talking about what really happens in your day as a driver that we get a lot of questions. So I'm going to save a lot of time at the end to talk through what the questions are. As Todd said, try and get to absolutely as many of them as we possibly can. The short haul exception is a pretty easy one, but a quick a note on what the short haul exception is, is it's not really an hours of service exception. It's an exception from preparing a record of duty status. So either a paper log or an electronic, electronic logging device. You also don't have to take 30 minute break as a short haul driver, but we'll talk more about that later. Um, but the current rule that we're under right now is uh, you can take advantage of that exception and not prepare a record of duty status. If you do a few other things we'll talk about, but also, uh, the driver has to start and end their day at the same location under the current rule and only travel up to a hundred air mile radius and have a maximum duty day of 12 hours. The real change here that we're making is we're extending that distance to 150 air miles and the duty day to 14 hours. It really makes a lot of sense um, with where we are right now because we now have the 14 hour rule matching up with the 14 hour uh, short haul exception uh, the 150 air mile radius matches up with some other exceptions that we have uh, that have been extended from 100 to 150, like the ag exception. So now it makes it a little bit more consistent and it provides the driver uh, some additional flexibility in, in not having to prepare that record of duty status while still being subject to the hours of service rule. Still can't drive more than 11 hours in that period of time. So without going over the big example, remember that it is a radius. So it kind of goes all the way around that circle. So as you can see in the, on the right, it definitely expands the area that you could operate in and still be able to take advantage of this exception. So on the next slide, we go into a little bit more detail about what exactly you have to do to take advantage of the, this exception, but also noting that nothing else really changed other than the 150 and the 14 hour rule. Everything else is the same. The non-CDL exception is the same. So in order to use it, um, as I mentioned, you have the 150 air miles and you have the 14 hour rule exception, um, starting and ending at the same location I mentioned briefly. Uh, you have to have at least 10 hours off for property driver uh, between, uh, between shifts. And you have to have some kind of time record that gets maintained at the carrier's place of business. That includes both the start and the end time as well as the total arrows on duty for that day. And uh, I wanna talk about this because we kind of covered what you have to do, right? We said, okay, if you meet all those requirements, you, have to, you don't have to have 
uh, paper record or duty status uh, or an electronic logging device. But we also need to kind of revert back for a minute to some of the discussions we've talked about, um, about logs, log maintenance and ELDs. So the, that carrier record has to have the drivers in and out and the total number of hours per day, preceding seven days, just like always, and maintain it for six months. This isn't something that has to be carried on the vehicle, but you do need to be aware that a, a, a roadside officer may ask for a fax or an email copy or something like that. Um, so how you want to manage that as a driver or a carrier, if you're taking advantage of this exception, really is up to you to figure it out as best as possible. But the other part that we have to look at now is the ELD rule. And some of you probably remember from all of our discussions about this is the old eight and 30 rule. And it's really important to keep in mind here because there may be times as a short haul driver where you can't meet that exception and you need to fill out a paper record of duty status. So let's just say, for example, probably the easiest one to think of is somebody that has to exceed that 150 air mile radius. You got one customer you hit once a week. So that's fine. You're still back within 14 hours and 11 hours of driving, no problem. If you don't meet the, all the requirements of that exception, you just have to prepare a record of duty status for that day. And it can be paper as long as you maintain that that doesn't happen any more than eight out of every 30 days, which will then keep you out of the electronic logging device rule. So this exception is per driver, right? So if you have several drivers, maybe you can balance out those longer runs. Um, or if you're just a single driver and you're taking advantage of the short haul, you just have to make sure that you don't exceed any of the limitations and have to fill out a logbook more than eight times out of every 30 rolling 30 day period. So as long as you manage all that, it should be pretty easy. No record of duty status, keep the time records at your place of business and everything is, uh, you should be all set. Okay, uh, question, Josie uh, Frost asks, okay, this is, a, this is also a little bit long. I just wanted to, okay, on the short haul exception, it's about short haul exception. If you have to fill out a paper log uh, for going past 150 miles, do you have to recreate the previous uh, seven days of the logs? Yeah. But the short answer is no. You need to have a record of duty status for that day. And keeping in mind that one of the qualifications I talked about was uh, you still have to have that time record with all of those other days. So now this will just go with that time record and give you a complete seven day history and you're all set. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that before, too. I've heard that question before, too, and I don't think I've ever been able to give a very good answer to it. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, you do have to, you just got to have the time record. Because if you're not keeping a logbook, you're still keeping a time record. Uh, yeah. So moving on to the next one, the adverse driving conditions definition. There's really a couple of really key important points here. And the old definition and the new definition are both here on the slide for you. But I just want to point out a couple of things that are really the most important about the definition. First of all, as it always has been with adverse driving conditions, it's something that you didn't know about before. I always use the example, I live here in Washington, DC, and even now, uh, five o'clock, rush hour, lots of traffic. Yeah, I kind of consider that adverse driving condition for me, but it's a known thing. So it does not afford you the use of the adverse driving condition exception. Okay, so things that were not known or could not be reasonably known that you couldn't anticipate, whether it's weather or a crash or road construction that shuts down a road, whatever the case happens to be, could be any number of things. Um, as long as it wasn't known or couldn't have been known, sometime 
at the time of the last qualifying rest break. And I say that um, because it's important to keep in mind that the old definition talked about the time when the uh, run was dispatched. This is very different than that, especially under a world where we can split sleeper. Okay, so at the end of whatever qualifying period it is, you do your due diligence as a driver, check conditions, you're ready to go, no way to know that was gonna happen, and off you go and everything is good. If something goes wrong, then you can use this exception. So it really puts into the hands of the driver after their last break, the ability to make this call and figure out whether they need to afford themselves of the adverse driving conditions uh, exception. So now that we cover the definition, let's go ahead to the next slide and talk a little bit about what does it actually mean? So when you talk about adverse driving conditions, the current rule that we're under right now uh, extends the drive time by two hours. So you can have 13 hours of drive time now if you run into adverse driving conditions up to 13 hours, but you're still bound by the 14 hour rule. So when we were looking at this and one of the things that we heard is, hey, we really shouldn't be extending that 14 hour window also, because it's very possible that a driver that runs into that would run out of time on their 14 hour clock before they ran out of time on their 11 hours, that's now 13 because they had several hours of on-duty not driving time during the day, whatever the case happens to be. So now under this exception, you get two hours on both your drive time as well as on your 14 hour rule. And that allows uh, a lot more flexibility if something were to come up during the course of the driver's day. So pretty straightforward there. Main things, main points, keep in mind is something that wouldn't have been known after the last break. And now you get both uh, an additional two hours on their drive time and on the 14 hour rule if you need. A key element of actually using the adverse driving conditions exception that DiLorenzo emphasized. When you encounter that unforeseen weather event or accident or whatever the case is, then you decide to use that exception, annotate the log in as much detail as you can. Uh, I do recommend strongly uh, that whether you're using paper or ELD for that matter, that you do some kind of annotation in there and, and make it clear, you know, when you're in a safe place to stop and enter that annotation into your electronic logging device so that when you get stopped or if you get stopped at some point in time, that annotation gets shipped over to the officer because the first thing they're going to see is 13 hours of driving and 15 hours of uh, on-duty time or whatever the case happens to be, 16 to depending on how much time you take. And there's gonna be a lot of questions that get asked. So you can keep in mind now that the ELD is gonna have, that's all gonna be shown. Your, your road speed and your time is all gonna be on your time record. So they'll be able to see that. You are maybe not moving at all or moving very slowly. And you put an annotation in there. Hey, uh, gravel spill on the bridge, uh, got held up for an hour. So it took the extra hour drive time to get me to my destination. So. Uh, I've talked about this before in a lot of presentations on ELDs really take a little bit of time to throw in an annotation just because it will just help speed things uh, as you go down the road uh, if you get stopped by a, for an inspection by an officer or any other situation like that that would occur. And we'll talk about the next one, which is the 30-minute break. And I do want to spend a little bit of time here because I was reading some of the comments on the web and other things earlier just to kind of see what questions people were asking. And this is one that it's worded a little confusing because we're trying to do a couple of different things here um, with this rule. 
And so I'm going to kind of back up and take this one a little bit slow to make sure that everybody really understands it. And I'm going to go back to this particular provision later in the presentation when I talk about split sleeper, because I'm going to tell you it now and I'll show you why when we look at a couple split sleeper logs that there will be very few circumstances if you're split in your day using a split sleeper that you would ever need to take a 30 minute break. Mainly because under the rule that we're under right now, okay, you have to take a 30 minute break after eight hours on duty. Okay, so you start your time and after you're on duty for eight hours, that's drive time, on duty time, all that, you need to take a 30 minute break. Under this particular rule, the only issue with the 30 minute break is you need to take a 30 minute break after eight hours of driving without a 30 minute break. Okay, so if you drove eight straight hours, now you need to take a 30 minute break. If you drove eight hours and you took only a 15 minute break at hour four, well, you then you need a 30 minute break at the eighth hour. The idea is get away no more than eight hours behind the wheel together without a 30 minute break. The other big change is that now it can be satisfied by any other duty status other than driving. So before we said you had, it had to be off duty time. Now it could be off duty time, sleeper birth time, or on duty, not driving time. So the example, when I, that, then this came up the most, the drivers would always tell me, they'd be like, well, I'll stop for 15 minutes because I have to get gas. And then I'll take 15 minutes to go in and get a cup of coffee and maybe a little bit bite to eat. So under the old rule, that first 15 minutes doesn't count towards a 30 minute break. So now I'm, the driver's like, well, now I'm sitting here waiting for an extra 15 minutes just to leave, if only for the reason of satisfying that 30 minute break requirement. So now you can combine that together. You take 15 minutes of on-duty time, fuel, maintenance, whatever. You can take 15 minutes of, uh, of uh, off-duty time, combine them all together and give yourself a 30 minute break and you're pretty much all set. This example just kind of shows that, and I don't know that we need to go over it in great detail, but really, again, keeping in mind that you can use either on-duty or off-duty time, and the only time you need to take it is if you're putting eight hours behind the wheel. I've had one or two drivers tell me they do that without stopping. Uh, it's a bit of a feat. I'm sure some of you do, but a lot of times you're going to need some kind of break in there for something, and if you work it right, like I explained, then you will easily have uh, your 30-minute break met, and you should be all set. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the one that's probably going to take us the most time and that we'll get the most questions out. I'm going to walk you through a couple of examples, and that's the sleeper birth provision. And the first thing I'm going to do is try and translate for you the reg to what is in, what you actually are doing because it's kind of hard to write these things, and I've had some people getting confused over this uh, issue. First of all, you still always have the option to take 10 hours off. That is one option for meeting the rest break requirement. If you take 10 hours off, you're starting your 11 and your 14 all over again after the 10, and it's no problem. However, if you want to split the, that 10 hours off, there's a couple of requirements that you need to make, that you need to meet. The first of those is the, the shorter period has to be at least two hours and that can be off-duty time or sleeper birth. So the first one, short, two, or and doesn't have to come first. Todd asked me this question earlier, but we'll just call it just for now. It can go in any order you want. But you have to have one off-duty period that's at least two hours. 
another one that's at least seven hours. But remember, they all have to total 10. Okay, so two and seven doesn't work, but two and eight works, three and seven works, two and a half and seven and a half works, whatever you can come up with, as long as you have a minimum of two and a minimum of seven, and the total then becomes 10. So you get your 10 hours off. And if you do it, and if you do it right, then you have to have, um, then neither of those periods will count against the 14 hour driving window. And then there's a note here about the current eight hour, about the eight hour sleeper birth period and the way that it is now. Just think about it the way that I just explained it is that if you have an eight, you have to pair it with a two in order for it to be not counted. And I'll show you on this example. Yeah, you can go ahead to the next one, James. Thank you. Um, this example, there's really two examples. Don't try and put these logs together. Although if somebody asks me a question, I might put them together just to show you an example. But really this just shows the seven, three, <coughs> excuse me, and the eight, two split and how it all works together. So I'm gonna use the log on the left with the seven, three split or the three, seven split. And I'm going to walk you through how it works and how to do the calculation to make sure that you really, really understand it. So this looks like a day and we're going to make the assumption that this driver came on after at least 10 hours off duty. Okay. So maybe they're on a 34 hour restart, 10 hours off duty weekend, whatever the case happens to be, although this says Friday. So whatever the case, they were off for 10. Okay. Came on duty for an hour. Okay, to 1 a.m. We made it nice and easy. They did that for me because it's easier for me to count hours that way if I just start at midnight. Uh, and then you go from one to seven, six hours drive time. Okay, so we've got six hours of drive time, seven hours of on-duty time. Let's ask ourselves the question we just talked about. Any 30-minute break required there? Doesn't look like it to me, right? We said only after eight hours of driving without a 30-minute break. Driver takes three hours off maybe at a shipper's location or waiting to unload or waiting out rush hour traffic, whatever it happens to be. All right. Comes back on two hours on duty. All right. And then another five hours driving. So again, now on that side of it, we've got seven hours of on duty, five hours of driving, no need for a 30 minute break there either. Right. So everything looks good. And then we have, a longer period of sleeper birth for seven hours starting there at 5 p.m. So the first question that we ask is, okay, do we have two periods that meet the, de the qualifying definitions? Okay, and the answer is, yeah, we do. Because the one period has to be at least two hours. It could be off duty or on duty or, um, or sleeper. So off duty or sleeper birth. The longer period has to be at least seven and that would have to be sleeper birth time. And together they total 10. So we have three, seven right there. So the question then is, how do you calculate hours of service and whether you're compliant or not? And you know, for those of you that, that drove pre 2004 or so, uh, the calculation is exactly the same as it was back then. Uh, everybody does it a little bit differently, but the way that I do it is, once you have two qualifying periods like we have there, we have a three and a seven, you just count the hours on either side of that first qualifying period. Okay, so we can do that now. We've got seven hours of on-duty time on the left side of that short period. 
You've got seven hours of on-duty time on the right side. So 14-hour rule, everything looks good. Now, drive time, do it the same way. Six hours of duty time on the left. Or I'm sorry, I'm on the 11-hour rule. Six hours of drive time on the left, five hours of drive time on the right for a total of 11 hours. So you're totally in compliance. So we started that calculation there at midnight. Sometimes we'll call that the calculation point. Calculation point number one starts at that particular point in time. So then what happens after that is the question, okay? So the driver's gonna come off duty at, let's just say that's the end of their break at seven. You can calculate how many available hours are left on the right side of that, um, that second split, that seven hours. Because I said the driver, as you can see, has five hours of driving. That means they have six hours of driving left on the other side of that, of that seven hour period before they need to take another break. And there's seven hours of duty time there starting at 10 a.m. So they've got seven hours of duty time on the other side. So after they do that, so by 7 a.m., if they maxed out their hours between drive time and on duty time, the following day, the driver would need to take at least a three hours uh, break of either off duty or sleeper birth time. And it just continues like that going all the way through. So that's how you get to the point where none of those break periods are counting against the 14 hour clock. If you've got what we call qualifying pairs, you match them up, you look on either side and you do your calculation that way and you just keep it rolling all the way through. The slide on the right does the same thing. Um, I'm not gonna go over that one in as great a detail because all it does is show you the example that you have a two and an eight instead of a three and a seven. And we're using all round numbers. It doesn't have to be that way like I talked about earlier. So really kind of focusing on that and understanding how you do that split and knowing that that time doesn't count. So you can kind of work your day. The other a couple of points that I wanna make on this are one, just going back to the 30 minute break. Again, if you're working splits like this, chances of you needing a 30 minute break are not that good. Because if you do, if you start to draw this out and you do a really long period of eight hours, it starts to scrunch you up on the other side. Maybe that works for you, maybe it doesn't. Um, but again, a lot of cases we're focused on what do you have to do for a 30 minute break. But if you're using splits, you might not ever have to worry about it because you might not ever need to take a 30 minute break. All right. And also, I think the other thing that I, I like to, when I talk to a lot of folks about how this works, and I think a point that I like to make here is that you really need to think about <clears throat> a little further down your day in terms of what kind of time you wanna take for those splits. For example, you need to kind of think about how many hours you're taking off. So a lot of times we get these questions about four, five, six, seven hour periods, which is the best. You know, if you're at a six hour break, you really should think about whether or not you could take a seven and make that a qualifying pair. Doesn't always work but think about what happens after you're done with that break. You know, maybe your three hour break ends up at five or six because you got held up and you just wanna make that a seven or whatever the case happens to be. So you kind of need to think a little bit about what's gonna happen down the road. Again, not always an easy thing to do, but when you're looking at how much time you have, you might wanna think about, you know, what's that second period gonna look like and how are we gonna go forward from there? 
So like we said, I think I'm expecting uh, we're going to get some questions and we can have a lot more talk about this, but that's a quick overview of kind of how this works. Um, and, and that change on the eight hour, eight hour birth period, you kind of alluded to this um, while we were talking there, but um, what's the rationale behind not allowing a, you know, a single use instance of that uh, eight hour to pause the clock? Yeah, the key, the whole core of kind of how the sleeper birth splits work is that your total intent and they match. Okay. And that's why we kind of said, you know, with this current, with the way that we're going with the new, I call it the current, I'll go with the new rule. Um, you really got to, the whole thing is based on the foundation that you match up, you know, eight and two total in order to kind of get that anchor period of rest, that longer period, and another little bit longer period during the day than the 30 minute break. So that's really the rationale. It's kind of always thinking that we're sticking with the 10 hours off. We're just allowing you to kind of break it up. So you got to kind of match it up. So if we look back at the kind of the logbook examples here, because the opposite is sort of true um, in terms of a single use instance of of the shorter period, because you could do that and pause the clock because you, and then later down the line, take a 10 hour break. Uh, that would, that would give, would that give you two hour, two qualifying periods? Yeah. Again, so it's a really good question. This is where you get into a little bit of minutia of the reg speak. And I did mention it when I went over the language, it's a, the, the both breaks are minimums. Okay. And we did that on purpose because the last thing you want to do, right. Is, is disincentivize somebody from taking more rest. So I used my example here earlier. I said, you know, think about how long your your um, how long your break is. So let's just say that seven hours that that driver took at the end was really turned into eight or nine. Okay, that's fine. None of that would count. But the real benefits of saying, you know what, if I decide to make that a ten, now what happens? Well, now I'm not calculating anymore on either sides of those periods. Now I'm starting off again with a, with a zero 11 and a zero 14 hours. So I think it's important to keep in mind that, yeah, you know, we, we can't kind of predict and a driver can't even always predict how long they're going to be off. So we, the name of the game here is flexibility, which is what we started with. So, so we allow uh, in this rule, the ability to kind of match longer pairs and not have them count. And the one that comes up the most is the example that you just gave is, hey, what happens if that longer period stretches out on me and I make it a 10? That's fine. It's a minimum of seven and it, it the whole, both periods total 10, you just get the extra benefit now of starting off with a fresh 11 hours and a fresh uh, 14 hour clock. Right, I mean, it really is that uh, very similar to um, the proposal that was made by the owner operator independent drivers association in, you know, early on in this process for that one day uh, duty pause. Very similar anyway, but it's incorporated in this, in this birth rule. It is. The only real difference is it, it kind of, um, it's focused on the sleeper birth portion, yeah. portion of yeah. it. Yeah. Not long after this session, FMCSA put out a proposed pilot program that would provide an on-the-road test of the idea of allowing pauses in the 14-hour window as short as 30 minutes. Keep in mind, with the split sleeper regs, any qualifying period must be at least two hours to pause the clock. You can find more information about how to comment on that pilot program proposal and uh, more of our hours of service related coverage at overdriveonline.com hours. I asked DiLorenzo then about those shorter periods in the regulation going live September 29, 
Uh, the split sleeper berth changes. Paraphrasing a question sent in by a reader. When it comes to the ability to stop the 14-hour clock, does it matter if the off-duty period is more than three hours? No, same thing there, minimums, right? Yeah. So it's gotta be a minimum of two. So if you make it, let's just say it ends up being four. Okay, okay. if you end up four, as long as you match it up with at least a seven, you know you'll have more than 10. You know, I even I can get that math. And uh, all four would be excluded from the calculation. You would calculate it exactly the same way I walked through it on the slide before. Right. You know, one, one of the reasons I think that there's, um, there's kind of been a, a, a lot of wonder about, about this is that, you know, some, we heard from some folks out in, out in the enforcement community kind of, kind of uh, implying the opposite about the short, shorter periods. Um, and kind of referencing this old interpretation from back, I think when the first when the fourteen hour rule first came into play, and uh, if if I'm if I'm remembering this right, uh, you know, it's kind of before the, a change that disallowed the ability to use that shorter off duty period to kind of pause that fourteen, uh, you know, just like the long one did. Uh, but but uh, anyway, the interpretation was that if you don't actually sort of stay within the split cycle, that you lose the pause value of the shorter period, uh, you know. Under that, and you know, in the example here with the driver, actually, if he would, did go all the way out to ten on that uh, seven-hour, uh, you know, that second off-duty period, it, I think that old interpretation would basically have it that you don't reset uh, your available daily hours after you complete that ten, and you kind of retroactively can create a fourteen-hour violation <laughs> on the previous day, which seems really crazy to me. But uh, that's that's, ex that's exactly the point. Is you, it, it's just one, it just doesn't make it, it's not really fair, yeah. right? And yeah. so you can't be not in violation and then suddenly in violation later when yeah. you weren't earlier. And again, the point here is to be flexible. And really what we don't wanna do is we don't wanna disincentivize somebody from, from taking more rest. I mean, that seems crazy to say, oh, well, you shouldn't take more because that other period won't count. You know, the whole point is to give the driver the ability to get as much rest as they can and you know, be able to be flexible. So that's old stuff. That's what we're going to spend the next, you know, 35 or six or seven days that we have to uh, get our, get all those state folks up to speed and get everybody ready to go. Yeah. And then that's, that's a, that's a lot of work. I know. I mean, how ready do you think that, uh, that folks are going to be out there? I mean, cause that's, like I said, you know, if, if folks just, if a driver didn't know anything about these laws, they'd be fine if they just continued logging the way they always did. But um, uh, the, the, the variable in, in using these provisions when they do go into effect is, is whether or not uh, the, the officer is, is fully aware of them, if you do use them. Uh, so how ready is, is enforcement going to be? So, I mean, they're going to be ready. We're working really hard. And I do think so. some of us that have been around for a while remember the transition to the 14-hour rule, which was difficult. There is one advantage that we have here, and that is the ELD. So the roadside officers, the drivers are going to hopefully get their assistance from their ELD provider on doing these calculations. The roadside officers are going to have the ability within our system to be able to get those cues and reminders and help with the calculations uh, from the ELD transfers. So this is going to be my not so subtle pitch for everybody remembering to know how to do their ELD transfer because 
especially now and especially in the beginning as everybody's learning how to do it right, doing that transfer and getting it over into our system will be a huge benefit. So I think uh, we do have a big advantage over other times where we've transitioned the rules. Right, right. And then, you know, I was going to ask that question actually uh, about those ELD providers. Are you hearing from hearing from all of them out there? I know there's a, a huge number of them in the ELD registry. Um, are they? Is everybody kind of actively collaborating with you guys to make sure they've got all the all their ducks in a row? Judging by my emails, I'd say they're all working pretty hard. <laughs> okay, <laughs> getting a lot, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, every the good thing is that you know, I mean when we talked about this with the ELD providers early on, we were like, you know, start early, you know, and a lot of them were kind of thinking about it. And especially the ELD providers that have uh, exposure in Canada, some of the, there's some similarities with splits and things like that. And uh, everybody that I've talked to on the ELD side, you know, they're fine tuning and they're figuring out what their customers want, but it sounds like everybody's in pretty good shape in terms of getting those things ready uh, when the time comes. Uh, James Berg uh, here is asking, you know, with regard to the split, yeah, this is a this is a real this is a real specific example. Okay, that's why I'm taking um, notes. Yeah, driver works seven hours. Um, I guess we're talking on duty time here, and takes a five hour break. Will they still have uh, seven more hours available to work before they need another break? And then at that point, can they take a ten to reset the fourteen, or will they need to take the seven? Uh, less than 10. I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. So seven hours on duty time, took a five hour break, took a, took five hours off. Okay. So on the other side of that five, there's seven available hours of on duty time. We're not talking about drive time, I guess here, right? You got seven and seven on either side. So after that second seven is up, there are several options. Okay. One of those is take a seven hour sleeper birth period. Right. Okay. Because we got seven and five, that's 12. That all matches up. The five still doesn't count. Um, but if the driver for some reason ends up in a situation where they are ended up taking 10 off, like you and I were just discussing briefly uh, before we went to the Q and a, yep. then that five still wouldn't count. And the 10 would start your 14 hour clock over again at zero. Once you were done with it. So that goes to my, hey, if you end up at eight or nine, you might want to take 10. Um, you know, one of the, one of the um, uh, concerns that I've heard from, from some out there in the community uh, of, of owner operators is that, you know, particularly that, that kind of that single day, the ability to use that, that at least a two hour break to kind of pause that clock uh, holds a little potential for abuse, uh, you know, with, drivers potentially being coerced to record an off-duty period like at a dock or another location where they're not really off-duty. Uh, uh, yeah. and, and I was just curious to hear what your thoughts on you know, some of the remedies there. I know about the, uh, the existence of the coercion rule and it enables drivers to at least kind of report those uh, instances. Um, or, you know, for owner-operators, it could be a, a broker-shipper um, uh, coercing, uh, uh, engaging in coercive behavior in a similar manner, but, you know, of more utility, I guess, for an owner-operator uh, would might be a clear set of conditions for what really constitutes off-duty time, which, is there anything in regulation or guidance available that kind of addresses scenarios where 
like an owner operator might be in fact at a dock waiting, but is essentially not working at all. I mean, I know there's been a multitude of conversations about this enforcement opinions on that kind of a situation. There's been litigation on it. Long way to way of saying basically what really constitutes off duty time. Yeah. You know, the ship, right? It gets, yeah, it's a tough question, man. I wish I knew this one was coming, but uh, <laughs> sorry. You know, I should I should have known, but I should have known better. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that it's a it's a difficult situation. So to kind of break it down a little bit, I mean, yeah, we have a de- definition of off duty and on duty time, right? Which all is very clear and easy to understand until you start to apply it to a situation like you just said. I mean, generally, if the driver's sitting in the vehicle at the ready and has to be responsible, that's going to be considered on duty time. Right. If they're sent off and they can just get called and do whatever. Then it's going to be off duty time. So it's tricky. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a judgment call. Uh-huh. Um, but really most important is what you said is that if they're getting pressure, and we'll use the owner-operator as an example, they're getting pressure from a shipper to, to log those things differently to give them more time or whatever. That's exactly why the coercion rule exists, right? And, and um, we get some complaints there. I always, was, I always feel like there's more, and sometimes people don't know or don't want to. They are difficult. Um, but, uh, you have to keep in mind that in order for it to be coerced, there's gotta be some kind of threat there. If you don't get this load there on time, I'm never going to hire you again, threat of financial harm, that kind of thing. Um, and you can report those through our website. So I think you just have to kind of look at what's working and on duty versus what's not and kind of make that judgment call to, to do the best you can. So (laughs) an owner operator is... Uh, at backed up to the dock, he's sitting at the dock. It's taking forever, he, but he's back there in the sleeper. He's reading a book. Uh, it goes on for hours and hours. Off duty time. Yeah, I think so. I I think he's he, he he's literally in the sleeper, right? Yeah, so, he's in the sleeper know, reading a book. Yeah. 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 Not assisting in the other. No, so this, not, I not, say, not in readiness to drive. Or yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pretend you didn't tell me the part about the book. Okay. But <laughs> no, no, no. It's, I mean, well, yeah. we, we don't get it. You know, I don't, we don't tell you what you need to do during your 10 hours off. We're hoping you're getting good rest. And the overarching part of the rule says, make sure you get enough rest. Right. That kind of provision. Right. So uh, that's a great example of where this can be helpful. You know, you, you could end up jumping in the sleeper and getting your short break. Uh, while you're waiting. Um, and now that time's not counting against your 14. So that's really the kind of flexibility we were trying to build in here. Um, good, good. I got, I got another one here. Um, so this one, this one's a little confusing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's about, it's about pre-trip inspections, post-trip inspections. Um, asking about a minimum, uh, minimum for pre-trip and post-trip uh, inspections. Is it, uh, does it have to always be 15 minutes? In terms of time, we don't say anything about time. As yeah. long as you do what you're supposed to be doing, no. it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, and they, everybody gets stuck on the 15 minutes because, like, that was all you used to be able to log on a paper log. On paper, yeah. <laughs> right? So everything was right. always 15 minutes. So it's whatever time it takes. Uh, do a good job. Get through all the components pre and post trip. And whatever time that is is how much time it is. Right. I've heard, I've heard I've, I'm recalling uh, – some of the folks that went to uh, e-logs kind of earlier than you know, a lot of everybody else did uh, talking about that very, that very thing uh, because a pre-trip inspection doesn't, doesn't necessarily take 15 minutes really. Right. 
Um, you, know, you can do an adequate one uh, anyway. Um, you can do a much longer one too. But um, they, then, and the idea that you know you save a little bit of time doing that every day um, over the long term. <laughs> this this, is, this pertains exactly to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, but it's a little uh, there's a complication here. Okay, so this is from Ralph Fortenberry, and he's asking, um, you know, if you're loading at three different sheds. And you have to spend four to five hours in the sleeper while waiting to get loaded. Will this not go against 14 hour uh, clock? Uh, if you have to go across the road to get to the next shed in the middle of that period, I guess. Or you're, the rest of the time you're just sitting there in the sleeper. Yeah, I mean, so technically speaking, okay. If you, you know, if you drive out on a public road, you're breaking up that time. Right. right. Okay. So you kind of got to figure out, you know, sort of how to work that out in terms of timing. When you have multiple periods, that makes your calculations a little bit more complicated. Right. Right. So it's, yeah, uh, it depends on what time. Ultimately, it depends on what time you do that in the middle of that four or five hour. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, it really depends on on how that works out in the time. You know, do your best to make sure that one of them is two. Right, at least so that you at least have the first part of a qualifying uh, set of splits. Big thanks to Joe for his time for sure. And if you've still got questions about the new flexibilities in the hours rule, feel free to send them this way and I'll get some answers. You can leave a message via our podcast line at 530-408-6423 anytime as well. And uh, for all of our related coverage, check into overdriveonline.com slash hours. Until next time, keep it pro out there.